Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings of one of the more interesting divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this episode on Tuesday, March 19th, 2019, and it's a big, big week for Marvel-related news. I feel like I should be ringing a bell like at the stock market, because today's, at midnight, big stuff happens. Yeah, I mean, after months and months and months and months, the Walt Disney Company's acquisition of all of those film and television assets from uh, 21st Century Fox is finally complete. We can now speculate about Fantastic Four and X-Men now that it's official. Yeah, we'll be waiting to hear what Kevin Feige has to say about all this. And before we get started here, do you want to talk about what we've been hearing about what goes where or... We're going to speculate that we know information which has not yet been confirmed nor denied. It's just rumblings out there at the moment. So could change. We could be way off base. But right now, it makes sense that Disney Plus, if you buy that subscription, it's purely family friendly. Mm -hmm. And then if you go to Hulu, Edge Your Content goes there. So it would make sense that all of Disney's animated stuff, all of their live action redos... All of Star Wars, because none of that hits an R rating. I think that only goes as bold as PG-13 at its worst. Mm -hmm. So it looks like you should be able to get all of your Star Wars content, all of your Disney animated and family film fix there. However, if you want to enjoy the entirety of the MCU, because they had to spread it out across TV and film, Mm -hmm. uh, it looks like Marvel movies may end up over at Disney+, Plus because those are PG-13 at their hardest rating Mm -hmm. but you have things like punisher and daredevil which are definitely r-rated shows with the language the violence the blood the gore etc etc that's gonna probably end up over at hulu so if you want to get your entire mcu fix it looks like you have to get it from two different places based purely on this speculation that's not confirmed anywhere while we're speculating you have to assume that there's got to be some sort of cross-platform promotion and Whether or not Disney, which owns 60% of Hulu and I guess is negotiating to land another 10% of it uh, to to be the really for real majority shareholder. They haven't invested in anything lately. So (laughs) why not? Going through the change that's in the the cigarette thing in the car. Right. But the interesting thing, now we switch to the studio side of things, pretty much the same battle plan that Disney Studios or Walt Disney Pictures will handle the more family-friendly items. I think PG-13 is is probably the departure point. But then right. the more adult material, your R and the like, appears to be headed toward Fox, which from a, a film historian point of view, I love the fact that Fox as a film studio is going to exist. I just get a little concerned because, face it, Disney for years now Used to have Touchdown, it used to have Hollywood Pictures, which is where right. a lot more of its adult fare went. But the studio really did refocus on family friendly stuff. And for some reason, I just really like the idea of how Netflix provides you with recommendations mm-hmm. of someone's just watching through all of Mickey Mouse and they get to the end of the queue and somehow the algorithm flakes out and goes, based on what you've been watching, we would recommend that you watch. Alien. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
Okay. Some kid just hits that, and all of a sudden they're ruined for the next twelve years. And I mean, they have to separate. They've they've got to find a way to place all of this content because they've got a wealth of it right now. Oh. And so what they're going to be doing is they're going to be sitting in a sandbox, drawing some lines, mm-hmm. and placing little bits of sand in different corners to make sure it's in the right place. Prior to this announcement that they were going to finally close the deal on the twentieth, this wasn't even the big news for this episode of mud that, that you know we had that james gunn has been reinstated as the director of guardians yeah. of the galaxy volume three which is huge and actually and it's not only huge we're I, i'm happy about it i don't know where you stand mm-hmm. on the side of the equation jim but I, I couldn't be happier to have him back it's one of these things where this is not supposed to happen in Hollywood, that filmmakers that you like, they get screwed over. They Things don't break the way they're supposed to. And the fact that he's back, especially after Disney has made multiple statements about, you know, well, we met with him and he's still not coming back. I mean, it's very, very heartening. But again, we'll, we'll get into yeah. the specifics of that on the second half of today's show, but Let's jump into the the other news first, and for starters, it's just past weekend two of Captain Marvel being out in theaters domestically, and box office fell off in the second weekend, as it does. As it does. In in this case, it dropped, uh, the film only did uh, 55% of the business that it had previously done, which, if you're listening to the online trolls, this is a big thing. Because the conventional wisdom in Hollywood that if you fall off of 40% is acceptable, anything that's close to 60 is a harbinger of doom because that means you're not going to recover your promotional costs, you're not going to go recover your production costs, you're not going to be in theaters long enough to do that. Has Marvel yet had a movie that hasn't recouped all of its costs? Um... I don't think they've had a certified failure yet. There have been critical disappointments, but I don't think there have been financial losses even if you take into consideration advertising costs which is usually almost you know a quarter to half the budget of the movie sometimes depending on how far you go with it hollywood math is is always fascinating i mean you know there are there are movies that have made a billion dollars that according to the studio's accountants are still in the red you know especially which is you know especially <laughs> aggravating for the folks who supposedly have points you know in, in these films yeah they're they're hiding taxes oh, and yeah. playing a shell game or something i mean come on let's get real but captain marvel it's not just been out domestically which by the way even with the 55 percent fall off in its second weekend it's currently 270 million dollars just in north america yeah if you factor in what this thing has made overseas it's already well past three quarters of a billion dollars. So I get the online trolls are still mad at Brie Larson. I get that, you know, they, they don't like the comments for Marie Claire magazine, but you would have to be spinning as fast as a tornado to be able to sell, you know, the notion that this this film was a failure. I'm sure Kevin Feige doesn't have the energy to eat his Wheaties in the morning because of this terrible, terrible outcome from Captain Marvel. (laughs) The clearest indication that Marvel thinks that Captain Marvel is a success is uh, look at what's going on with the Black Widow movie. Just today, they announced that Florence Pugh has, they've settled on her for the second lead on the film. And, you know, early this year we saw, you know, the Kate Shortland was picked as the director and... Jack Schaefer was hired in January of this year due to the screenplay. And if things had gone according to plan previously, they would have been shooting this thing in late February, early March. And 
I don't know what to how to interpret the tea leaves here that it hasn't gone before the cameras yet. I think there was a certain hesitancy about let's see what Captain Marvel does and then let's go. And but again, you know, three quarters of a billion dollars in twelve days. We've got coming out this summer Wonder Woman 1984. And based on what I'm being told, the belief is that there is going to be a hunger this time next year for a superhero film that features a female character. And so right now, it's it's all about let's get Black Widow off the runway because we want to have it out in theaters no later than May of 2020. So as I understand it, They've got space already set aside at Pinewood Studios in the UK. And this thing could be before the cameras as early as the middle of next month. I don't know what to make out of a Black Widow movie concept at the moment, because all I can imagine is female James Bond that can use her very good looks as a weapon against men. Mm -hmm. Should seem obvious with that. I'm just imagining it's a female James Bond movie. And I'm just wondering, because they never deliver on my expectations, what direction, script-wise, do they plan on going? Is it prequel? Is it set in present day? What's begun to leak out suggests strongly that there's a prequel component to this. But again, Jack Schaefer, who is writing the screenplay for the Black Widow film, she was actually pulled off of working on the Black Widow film to do rewrites on Captain Marvel as it was in production. In fact, there's this mm -hmm. amazing quote where she's talking about how they would reach out to her and say, we need you to work on this individual scene, which is being shot a week from now. And she'd get these very specific notes from the studio, like this scene needs to be funnier or clearer, or the character is not working in this moment of the movie. But another just bizarre side note that I found out Today, while I was paging through the Art of Captain Marvel book, it turns out they shot all of Infinity Wars and Endgame before Brie Larson shot frame one of uh, Captain Marvel. So, in effect, her introduction to the character was being dropped in a story where she's a supporting character. She's one of this ensemble cast. And it was only after she finished working on that that she got to go back and over the course of shooting Captain Marvel discover who Carol Danvers was. So I almost would find that beneficial because unlike most actors in that group, mm -hmm. Robert Downey Jr. had no idea what was coming with Avengers 1 mm -hmm. when he started off with Iron Man. Cap didn't know what the heck was going to be happening in any of the Avengers team-ups before he filmed his first movie, same with Thor, but she gets actually almost an advantage of she gets to step into the future of her character, find out what happens there, and she can use all of that that's given to her script-wise, story-wise, and throughout the other characters, the way that she interacts with them, actually can inform her of who her character is going to become in the future, so she's got an actual end point an end game in her mind of where carol danvers needs to be at the end of filming captain marvel and i th i think that if she's a smart actor and all signs point to yes on that one she probably used that to her advantage that's an excellent point i really had not thought of that by the way while we're talking about captain marvel again over the past day or so given how much you enjoyed that moment in Captain Marvel, where we get to see Stan 
on the train reading the script of Mallrats. There is this mm-hmm. absolutely amazing story that Kevin Smith tells on his YouTube channel, and I, I urge you folks to seek this out. But basically, it's about six months ago now. They're in post-production on Captain Marvel, and Kevin Smith gets a call from Kevin Feige. He explains that we're all sorry that we lost Stan, and I need your help. And he, he says, I have to tell you a secret that you can't tell anybody. And he proceeds to tell him. And evidently, Kevin had no idea that when this cameo happened in the film that you know Stan would be sitting there reading the Mallrats script. But here was the problem, that they shot the cameo in, I want to say, March of 2018. This was just after Stan got out of the hospital for pneumonia. So he looked great, but his voice sounded very, very weak. And Feige was concerned because this was going to be the first cameo that people saw after Stan passed. And if they couldn't do anything about the audio, all people were going to talk about was like, boy, didn't Stan sound bad. Right. You know, just take them out of the moment. But Feige thought of something. Well, wait a minute. He's sitting there. He's reading the script. So he's saying the line from the movie. There's got to be alternate takes. He didn't do just one take on the scene. So he calls Kevin and says, do you have access to this material? Because what we'd love to do is take the audio that you shot from Mallrats back in 1995 and through the magic of audio editing, and you know a little bit about it, that, Aaron, right. you, know, you use that audio to make Stan sound as he did back in 1995. And, and Kevin was, of course, thrilled, but he then had some bad news for Foggy. It's like, look, yes, I can tell you, there's alternate takes. The problem is that film is owned by Universal. And to get access to that material, you're going to have to go talk to the folks at Comcast. And... See if they'll cooperate. And you got to remember, just about the same time, here's Disney and Comcast battling back and forth over the Fox assets. You know, it seems like a very tough time to try to make this sort of deal. But but Kevin reaches out. And this is my favorite part of the story. These two mega corporations at this moment when it would have been so easy to say no. It's like, oh, this is for Stan. Of course. You know, let's go to the archive. Let's pull that material. So that's the thing. When when you watch that scene now in Captain Marvel, that's a Disney film with universal audio put together to make Stan Lee look <laughs> as good as he possibly can. And that's one of those things. That, that's Again, that's not supposed to happen in Hollywood. People are supposed to be selfish and cruel and mean-spirited. And the fact that you know these two world-striding corporations came together just for this one little moment in this movie. Um, I think that's great. Yeah, that's very, very cool. I, once upon a time when I was working at a radio station in Mobile, Alabama, we had a hurricane come by, as is to happen in the Gulf Coast, mm-hmm. and uh, knocked down our main competition's transmitter. And uh, the owner of the company, because he was a righteous dude, said, oh, you can put your station up on my stick. And everyone's like, what are you, crazy? And he's like, I want to beat them with their, when they're healthy, not when they're sick. He wanted to fight, but he wanted it to be a fair fight where the competition, you know, had a chance. He didn't want to win because the other opponent never showed up to the race. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- I thought that was, you know, one of those healthy attitudes of I- I've seen so much underhanded connivery in uh, this type of business that it just kind of makes you sick of it altogether. And so when you find someone who's got the spirit of healthy competition and doing things fairly, it's like, oh, wow, faith restored in the world of business once again. And it was like, this was a guy that believed in that. So I'm very, very happy to see that type of spirit 
between two, like you say, mega, they're fighting over the same bone, mm -hmm. you know, two dogs fighting over the same bone, and then they stop their fight, pick a daisy, and hand it to the other one, go, here you go, <laughs> you know, and we'll continue our fight over the bone later. Right now, it's time for a daisy. Mm -hmm. Here's your audio of Stan Lee. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's awesome. That's great. That is great. And, and speaking of things that restore our faith in humanity in Hollywood, when we get back from this commercial break, we'll talk about the, the James Gunn situation. It's a feel-good episode of Marvelous Disney, folks. I want to take a second here to salute Joe Sinat. If you've been looking at Marvel Comics since 1950, you, you've probably seen this name pop up in the little panel at the start of each comic story. Joe was a guy who started Marvel, as I mentioned, in, in 1950, and inked four years. In fact, the work probably you'd know him best for is that amazing run in the early 1960s that when Jack Kirby was, was getting the Fantastic Four up out of the ground. He picked Joe to do the inking on these cartoons, and that's why they're amazing. In fact, Mark Evanier talks about Joe as one of the best inkers in comics, and his claim to fame was that he made poor artists look good and good artists look spectacular. <laughs> that's a great quote. That is a great quote. But here's the thing. Joe retires from... Uh, Marvel in 1992. He's 65. Makes perfect sense. But the thing is that he loves his work and there are certain characters that he loves that he, he isn't willing to give up yet. So while he retires from working there full time, he stays on for the next 27 years as the guy who inks the Spider-Man feature. Just this past year, at the age of 92, Joe has is, is finally decided to put down the pen. And so as he heads into retirement, we salute him. But at the same time, life is a revolving door. So as Joe heads out the door, who's coming back in? But again, James Gunn. Right now, there are, are people inside of a building that supposedly can contain five football fields. Uh, that's how big the Guardians roller coaster is going to be at Epcot. The roller coaster that all of us Guardians of the Galaxy fans have been through over, geez, since it's May of 2017... It's been a, a hell of a ride for the past 16, 17 months. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 uh, arrives in theaters May of 2017. Goes on to gross $863 million worldwide. Combination of the first two films, it's a, a $1.5 billion franchise. One that Disney is really anxious to get out into the park. So less than three weeks after... The movie Volume 2 opens in theaters. We get the Mission Breakout ride, debuts at Disney California Adventure. Somewhat controversial when it was first announced because it was replacing Tower of Terror, the, the, the Twilight Zone-themed attraction. But with its six different profiles and the amazing rocket animatronic figure, it was a hit from day one. This was a franchise that Disney wanted to take around the world. So July of that same year, Bob Chapek, the president of Parks, Products, and Experiences, uh, he's at the D23 Expo, and he reveals that there's a Guardians of the Galaxy coaster in the works for Epcot. It's going to go in as a replacement for the Ellen's Energy Adventure, and it's going to be the longest indoor roller coaster, highly themed with this amazing spinning coaster car. But again, it's it's got to be open in time for Disney World's 50th anniversary, which is in 2021. 
as if this wasn't enough, in September of that year, we get the Guardians of the Galaxy Monsters After Dark, which is this special nighttime-only version of Mission Breakout that's created as a complement to Disney's Halloween time. And an already ridiculously popular attraction becomes even more so. This is a story where you have to talk about parallel events. And about the same time as people are getting in line to get on Monsters After Dark, people are also at their newsstands picking up copies of the New York Times and New Yorker magazine because stories are starting to break about Harvey Weinstein and his years of abusing women. And what was interesting about when that story broke was I remember talking with folks who work as entertainment writers and they were like, Who's going to be next? Because Harvey was untouchable for years. If they could get Harvey, who are they going to get next? And as it turned out, the guy they got next, November 21st of that year, was John Lasseter. John was sold within the company as the next incarnation of Walt Disney. And the fact that he was forced to, well, at that time, it was just stepping away for six months. He was taking a leave of absence after admitting that he had behaved inappropriately with female employees at both Disney and Pixar. What was troubling for Disney about the timing of having to make that admission is they were ramping up to roll out news about their attempt to acquire Fox. January 15th of 2018, James Gunn confirms that Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is coming. Not only is it coming... It's going to be in theaters for summer of 2020. And then just three months later, he's down in Florida on the set of that horror film he made, uh, Brightburn. April 30th of that year, he's, you know, James, while he's on set for Brightburn is, you know, not only is Guardians coming out in 2020, we've moved up the date. It's now coming out in in May. But at the same time, Disney's out there uh, in May of 2018, kind of doing a trial balloon about what if John Lasseter comes back, but not in a supervisory position, but strictly a creative position? And that goes over like a lead balloon. To further complicate the situation, less than a week later, Comcast makes a counterbid on Fox. They're now offering $60 billion in cash, which obviously is a better bid than what Disney had put together and then starts to complicate the situation. And as if this week couldn't get any worse... Then Roseanne Barr tweets out an insult about former President Obama advisor Valerie Jarrett. And on the heels of this, they had just launched the Roseanne revival in January. It was this smash hit for ABC. Disney abruptly turns around after this has been such a huge success, and they've already announced season two, and they canceled the show. What then complicates the situation is that Roseanne, it, it isn't one explanation, it's a couple of explanations. In fact, her initial one was, I was Ambient tweeting. You know, a lot of people made you know the joke to the effect of, you know, I, I've looked in the box of Ambient. At no point does it say, we'll make you a racist. On the heels of Disney having to shut down the Roseanne revival, there's now just no way they can save John Lasseter. I mean, they can't fire the star of the network's biggest sitcom and save a guy who, you know, who's just said inappropriate things versus somebody who's done inappropriate things. So June of 2018, John Lasseter announces that he's going to step away from Disney at the end of the year. And Disney's hope, okay, let this be the last of it. And there's even kind of a turnaround in the Roseanne situation. Suddenly the show goes from being canceled to now it comes back as a Roseanne free version 
of the same show, The Connors. Even better news, James Gunn submits his first draft for the Guardians 3 script, which Kevin Feige loves. I think they have it in the door five minutes when Feige's out there. We begin pre-production of this very, very soon. It'll start shooting early next year. And as uh, James had put out as early as January and again in April, that this would be out in theaters in May of 2020. Comcast has has agreed to bow out, which gives Disney a clear shot at acquiring a Fox. But at the same time, it's not enough that the U.S. government is on board. It's not enough that Comcast has agreed to back off. There's now all of these other countries that Disney has to get approval from. and, And some of them are very, very, very conservative places. On July 20th, the James Gunn tweet story breaks. The two guys who were behind this, Jack Posobiec and Michael Kasarnovich, are both guys who work in conservative media. They were very, very upset about what happened with Roseanne. And James kind of been very, very public about tweeting about how much he disliked President Trump. And so they thought, okay, let's go through his old Twitter feed and see what we can find. And they come across all of these tweets for when James was working at Troma Studios. It's all about bad taste at at Troma. Yeah. Half the thing with Troma is that they go out of their way to be offensive. They go out of their way to be risque or or work the edge. And so while James was there, he was kind of a provocateur. And so they found all of these jokes that James had made on Twitter that were really in poor taste. I mean, they were jokes, but they were still in poor taste. And basically what they did is they held Disney's feet to the fire. It's like, look, you fired Roseanne for making an offensive tweet, which she now says was a joke. It changed from ambient tweeting to, I was making a joke. And so it's like, what are you going to do? And Alan Horn, the chairman of Disney Studios, felt especially in this situation where, you know, here was Disney in the middle of the, the Fox acquisition and could not afford any controversy. He had no choice. He had to fire James Gunn. Gunn immediately publicly apologized and took responsibility for his actions. This is actually what he tweeted out. Many people who have followed my career know that when I started, I viewed myself as a provocateur, making movies and telling jokes that were outrageous and taboo. As I have discussed publicly many times, as I developed as a person, so has my work and my humor. In the past, I have apologized for humor of mine that hurt people I felt truly sorry and meant every word of my apologies. And the very next day, a long line petition gets filed urging Disney to rehire James Gunn, which they got 247,000 signatures, which I thought was amazing. Within a week, it was people then turned on the two people who had found these tweets. And Mike Skrzanovich, who again, got James Gunn fired over rape joke tweets. Turns out he had his own history of rape tweets, and Mike Povozovic uh, also, turns out, was a plagiarist, so... Did he get fired? A lot of these guys are self-employed, so it's kind of... Uh, right. ...to fire okay. yourself from things. Okay. So, in my past, I got to spend a decade on the air six days a week. So I had a lot of times... Many, many opportunities over the course of my five-hour show to say something accidentally mm. inappropriate. I just did not use my words in the proper order, and I ended up offending someone by accident. And uh, my manager, who was quite brilliant with people, 
explain this to me very, very clearly, and it works every time. Step one, you apologize sincerely. Step two, you're done. You know, you don't argue. You don't try and defend yourself. The reason that they're on the phone to complain is because you've upset them. If you try and defend yourself, you're only going to make them more angry with you. Mm. There is no point. Don't even engage in that type of thought process. Just apologize to them because people want to be heard. When they complain, if you say, you know what, you're absolutely right, I misspoke, I sincerely apologize, they really don't have much further they can take their argument than that. You know, you've sincerely apologized, and that kind of diffuses almost everything. So James Gunn did exactly what Roseanne didn't do. He didn't say I was ambient tweeting. He didn't say anything. He said, I did something in poor taste. I apologize for that. I'm very sorry. I'll try and be a better person. He didn't bad talk Disney. He didn't shut down on Guardians 3 as saying, now that's going to be crap because I'm not involved with it. He took this like a, I don't want to say a man because that's like, I want to be gender neutral on that, but he took it like an adult. There we go. At the time, I understand because they had to go through reviews of other nations, Mm -hmm. they had to appear more puritanical in that moment. But now that this is done tonight at midnight and they have the Fox acquisition and the gun news is breaking right alongside of that, well, it was like a couple of days before that is finalized, but all signs were pointing towards a green light at that point when they made the announcement. And I think that this is Disney kind of making a distinction of, There are people that make crimes and they should be punished by, you know, going to jail, losing their job, etc. And there are people that have done something in poor taste and sometimes all they need is a timeout. They just need to sit in a corner for a few months, maybe lose out on an opportunity. But the unfortunate fact is Disney still needs to get the Guardians of the Galaxy ride done, which has got, you know, a building, but they can't get the cast together to film anything. So they really, really, really need this film to go forward just so they can get a cast in costumes so they can shoot the stuff for free on the side. I mean, there's a lot more riding on this than just a picture. So I'm absolutely not surprised to see James Gunn coming back. But I also think that Disney's making a fairly smart choice politically of making a distinction that he's not a criminal. He just did something in really poor taste. We can all agree on that much. He went away for a while. He lost some money. And, you know, he worked for another studio and he's doing fine. It's not like he's he's lost his career. He just didn't get to make Guardians at the moment that he wanted to make it. It's very interesting you bring up the the other studio because, again, October 9th, James gets hired to write and direct the Suicide Squad reboot for Warners. And if you talk with folks at Disney, they watch that really, really closely to see what's the reaction, what happens in the community. And the fact Mm -hmm. that there was no uproar, there was no, oh my God, you know, that awful guy from Disney is now making a movie at Warner's. In a weird sort of way, Disney is very grateful to to Warner Brothers for hiring James to do Suicide Squad because it provided some cover. It's like, look, you didn't react to him you know, Warner's right. hiring him. So, you know, chances are we bring him back to do Guardians. We're not going to have an issue. And you're right in mentioning so much of this was hanging on getting through the final approval stages of the Fox acquisition. Because, you know, the, the EU didn't sign on off on this thing till November uh, or early November. And then in late November, China, which is extremely conservative, mm-hmm. uh, comes right. on board with the acquisition. And, and, it's really hard not to look at the timing of this, that they had to wait till Mexico signed off on March 12th. They were the last hurdle after Brazil. And on that day, on the 12th, 
Disney announced that on March 20th, that was going to finally be the official closing day of the acquisition of the 20th Century Fox. And and then mm-hmm. three days later, we get this announcement that James Gunn is being reinstated as the Guardians Volume 3 director. And I was almost embarrassed. We missed the canary in the coal mine. Back in February, Chris Pratt was talking about how when Guardians went forward, they were still going to use the script that James had written. That, you know, they, they wasn't mm-hmm. a question of, oh, we have to clean the slate. We can't do anything that's associated with the guy. No, he wrote a great script. We're going to make that script. If we'd been paying attention, that would have been significant. As we're wrapping up here, I wanted to read James's statement after he got the gig back. I am tremendously grateful to every person out there who has supported me over the past few months. I am always learning and will continue to work at being the best human being I can be. I deeply appreciate Disney's decision and I am excited to continue making films that investigate the ties of love that bind us all. I have been and will continue to be incredibly humbled by your love and support. From the bottom of my heart, thank you. Love to you all. That sounds like a grown-up way to handle it. What? I can't fault this guy. He's he's made good entertainment within the confines that Disney's scope fits, you know, family-friendly, but a little bit edgy because it's Guardians of the Galaxy. You got a foul-mouth raccoon. I mean, it's all kinds of crazy. Yep. And he gave us some great stuff. The soundtracks, right? The soundtracks for those movies made news. People are buying them like little cassettes now. They don't know what a cassette is nowadays, Mm. but they have to have a cassette because they saw it in Guardians of the Galaxy. And so there's so much cool that this guy brought to the table that when things went bad, he took it as well as any human should take it in a public situation like that he can then close the door and cry on his own time in private but anytime he was public he was positive and always reaffirming of even when chris pratt said they were going to use his script somebody asked him on twitter hey is it true they're using his script and he said yes and it's going to be you know a wonderful movie and we were still too blind to see that as a, a big huge set of landing flags for him to come down on the runway and take back control because that should have said something to us but no he was just being adult like he had been the whole time so it was so obviously in plain sight because he'd been handling everything so well. we're just like well that's just james gunn he's just being supportive of his crew good for him nice guy now i have to to wonder though given that we have back in august 16th of, of 2018 james actually meets with alan horn the chairman of disney studios and at that time is told you're going to remain fired you will not return to direct guardians of the galaxy volume 3 and yet when the statement breaks the reasoning behind the, the, the studio gives for this is that after the firing walt disney studios chairman alan horn met with gunn on multiple occasions to discuss the situation And persuaded by Gunn's public apology and his handling of the situation after, Horn decided to reverse course and reinstate Gunn. I gotta wonder, when they actually had this conversation about, okay, you're coming back, but we we have to wait till we finish this Fox acquisition. As soon as we get that done, we can bring you back in. While the Gunn news broke, I spent a little extra time just kind of figuring out what does this mean for a company like Disney? I mean, this is almost like a statement in time, just like the Me Too movement is a statement in time. And I think, like I said earlier, that they're making a distinction between poor taste and criminal acts. Mm -hmm. I don't really expect someone like Brian Singer to be coming back to make X-Men movies anytime soon because there's a slew of allegations swirling around him. Mm -hmm. 
that are criminal. So it's almost like if you were to go through and, ta- and look at every rock star who's ever taken advantage of their celebrity, if you're looking at the music world, if you take away all of the artists who have used their celebrity to advance something for themselves, you're going to end up after it's all said and done with some Scandinavian nose flutist as your only (laughs) listening music option because he's the only guy who hasn't done something criminal with his fame. And so in the celebrity world, a lot of people have done sleazy stuff because they had the opportunity to do something that wasn't quite right. Mm. And it gets a little bit easier the more you do it. So I just think that in that type of world, Disney's kind of having to draw a little bit of a line in the sand of going, there are people who have misbehaved and they want to bring up specifically Gilbert Gottfried and Affleck, all right? Gilbert Gottfried was in a movie called The Aristocrats, which is about the most filthiest joke you can conjure whatever filth you can imagine multiply it by a couple hundred and you're still not even in the territory right so affleck had to know gilbert Gottfried was known for being edgy and they hired him to say one word as an animated duck and then he goes back to being gilbert Gottfried. so they shouldn't have been surprised when he said something very gilbert like at that time And I don't think he should have lost his job because he said something insensitive because that's Gilbert. It's like Sarah Silverman says some edgy stuff in her routines. If she said in the old Monty Python bit, the world's funniest joke, and they end up killing, you know, the whole German army with the joke bomb. Mm -hmm. It's like the opposite of that. If she said the world's worst, most offensive joke, I wouldn't demonize her to end her career. I would just say, well, that was a pretty poor choice to add that in the material. But I like the rest of the set. She's a comedian. Sometimes jokes fail. Sometimes they use poor choice. Sometimes they're trying to push a point across, even though it may be poorly executed, whatever the case may be. So in certain instances, there are people that will do things that are wrong, that are offensive, that hurt people's feelings. And that happens all the time through miscommunication or poor choice of words is sometimes the culprit. And sometimes other people are just mean-spirited trolls and they just want to be, you know, vile and vulgar. And you just have to ignore those people. So when it comes to the overall scheme in Hollywood, Disney has to start being selective about who they're going to let into their property because they've got Fox, they've got Disney animated films, they've got MCU, they've got Star Wars, and nobody is pure as the driven snow. No one has no sin, right? So they're going to have to start saying, all right, we understand you're edgy. While you're making this movie, behave yourself. But as soon as you're done, you know, voicing the parrot, Go use the F word again. We don't care. I've done voice work for a church. I'm not going to convert to their religion just because I cashed a check for $100 for three hours worth of work. You know, I don't alter my entire life because of the work I did two days ago. Otherwise, I'd be selling tires for a living right now because I did a tire commercial. These are all very valid, valid points. And in fact, I can't help but look at Sarah Silverman, you know, came under fire just as Wreck-It Ralph, or excuse me, Ralph Breaks the Internet was arriving in theaters in November of last year. And for me, it was fascinating to watch how the Disney company, it's no big deal. It's Sarah Silverman. We know who Sarah Silverman is, but Sarah Silverman, right. who voices Benelope von Schweetz, is one thing. But Sarah Silverman, who does her stand-up act or her cable series, entirely different thing. So I'm encouraged by the fact that they had a nuanced response to this. And 
I equally encouraged about what just happened with James Gunn. But again, I think the moral here, and and you've you've said it numerous times tonight, is that the key difference here is that he made a sincere apology. He took responsibility for his actions, and then he behaved like an adult. Mm -hmm. But I can't help but think in 10, 15, 20 years when people are looking at how to handle a crisis, they're going to be, look at what James Gunn did. Whereas when they're looking at how not to come back after a crisis, they're going to be looking at what John Lasseter did. As a longtime fan of John Lasseter's work, it it really pains me to have to say that, but he has really kind of bobbled this whole situation. Well, one thing that I think we'll all agree on is the Me Too movement is absolutely necessary, Mm -hmm. and we don't ever want to hinder the progress of a movement that is so much needed, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. But we do have to make a distinction between criminal and and poor taste, you know, and there are times where someone needs to be reprimanded, but it just can't be the whole nation crying in an uproar that someone must lose their job because they misbehave because it's like you go from Hollywood, then you go to have to work in an overnight diner. And then if you misbehave there, you have to pick potatoes. And after that, you're shipped off to an Island somewhere and you have to fend for yourself. It's that's just not how America is. We have the right to be wrong Mm -hmm. we have to be able to make mistakes because as humans that's one way we learn if we're not taught something directly the only other way to learn is through failure Mm -hmm. and going oh that didn't work i have to do something differently and grow from that failure right there's a brand new book out biography of mel brooks somebody asked him what's the definition of comedy and tragedy he says okay tragedy is when i get a hangnail comedy is when you fall down a manhole and die You know, it, it, it's all a thing of perspective. And, and, and more to the yeah. point, he also, I, I think he also talked about tragedy plus time equals comedy, which is why nowadays, what is the, the famous joke? Well, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, did you enjoy the play? Throughout life, because no one is perfect. We have all misspoke. We have all said something that we wish we could have taken back. And unfortunately, because time is linear, we do not have the ability to erase those words from our past. We must accept them, own up to them, and move on from them. While some offenses are damnable, not all of them are end of the world damnable for a person. Some people deserve stiffer penalties than others. And I think this was a case where a couple of journalists had an agenda quote unquote journalists had an agenda they dug up some dirt they got somebody in trouble it wasn't entirely fair to the person that got in trouble but he owned up to the fact that yes i did say those things and i should not have and that's about as far as i can go with it i'm sorry and you know when you look at it it's just like man that guy got the shaft but he still ended up coming out looking like a diamond and now I think Disney, you know, when they look around the cesspool that is Hollywood and everyone's that, that has done something wrong, mm-hmm. their options of who they work with narrows and they have to make a distinction of you're all right. You make entertainment when you're on the clock, you behave as we expect you should. And when you're off the clock, like Sarah Silverman, we expect you to carry on with your comedy career, to be edgy, to say things that might get you in trouble. But that's you. That's not us. You know, when you are playing that character, it's not like you're pushing your scene in the aristocrats, because I think she was in that movie too. You I know, she's do not. believe she was. I do believe she was. And the other thing is, five to 10 year olds are not watching Sarah Silverman comedy specials. So they'll never make that connection until they're like 20 or 30 when they're watching some old comedian from the old back days, back when Netflix was <laughs> a fancy fangled new thing. 
and they'll rediscover her and go, hey, isn't that that chick that was in that thing I used to watch as a kid? Oh, okay. And that's about as far as that's ever going to go. So yeah, let her and Gilbert and the rest go have their careers, say offensive things. They'll get in trouble, but it's not that big of a deal. They're comedians, and, and sometimes people make mistakes. So let's just move on with the world will keep spinning. And speaking of moving on, folks, let's start to shut down tonight's episode. So... Aaron, very busy guy, because he edits all of the podcasts we do here at the Jim Hill Media Network. And that includes The Mothership, Disney Dish with Len Testa, but it also includes Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor. It also includes Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse. I Want That with Michelle Valladolid. And last but not least is Looking at Lucasfilm with the amazing Dan Z. Now, uh, if you like what we do here, it would be very helpful if you go over to iTunes and rate and recommend our shows. On the other hand, if you really, really like what we do here, I would suggest you head over to Bandcamp and subscribe. We do do some special content there. Uh, in fact, we've got a Bandcamp exclusive show coming up with it. Len and I did later this week. So please go check that out. Beyond that, Aaron, anything else to add or... You can yell at me for all of my comments at azaprod.com, <laughs> A-Z-A-P-R-O-D.com. I'm sure I have offended somebody, and I will directly apologize to you in person. Thank you. Well, there we go. <laughs> Ending on an up note. There we go. I'll take it. I'll take it. Okay. Well, on behalf of Mr. Adams, thank you for listening, and we will be back with a new Marvelous Disney very soon. Till then, take care. More Marvelous Disney will be coming soon. In the meantime, check out one of the other great shows found only on the Jim Hill Media Network.